welcome to another episode of A Wee Bit of Everything with your hosts, Lewis Cleland and Clark Burrow. Each time we have the honour of interviewing an athlete on the show, the questions are going to be shaped around the Scottish Physical Education School curriculum. This will allow us to get an insight into how athletes gather information on their skills and fitness levels. It will also reveal how they would plan a period of training to develop their areas of development. First hand, we will get a personal insight into how the mental, emotional, physical and social factors impact their performance and how these athletes manage these factors. This week on the podcast, we're delighted to welcome Stephanie Davis. Stephanie is on today to talk to us about all things running. She's 29 years old from Scotland. Stephanie recently ran a 2 hours, 27 minute and 40 second marathon time in Valencia in December 2019, which reached Olympic qualifying standard. She only recently started taking running seriously over two to three years ago and still combines work with a crazy training schedule. Since running the Olympic qualifying time, Stephanie reduced her working hours by up to 50% so she could focus on her training. Stephanie's work, Lazard Asset Management, have been incredibly supportive during this process. We are both really looking forward to this one, being incredibly enthusiastic runners. So I think it's about time we get Stephanie onto the show. How's things, Stephanie? Thanks a lot for coming on today. How how, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on today. No, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on today to share your... I'm sure you've got many running experiences that you can share and help uh, pupils from our school and uh, teachers who are listening to the podcast. And I'm sure myself and Lewis as well, because we're really avid runners as well, doing a lot of marathons and ultramarathons. So thanks again. No problem. We'll get right into it then, Uh, Stephanie. Can you tell... Can you give us and the listeners a little more background information on your running experience so far and you know how you fell into the sport as I only touched on your most recent experiences in the introduction? Yeah, of course. So when I was young, my parents kind of took us to like a variety of sports. We took went to dance lessons, hockey, tennis, swimming, etc. And then just to get us used to kind of being active um, in a variety of like team and individual sports. And then naturally, as we got older, we kind of narrowed down our selection of of what sports we enjoyed doing the most um, based on kind of like what we what brought the most enjoyment, but also what our friends were probably doing. Um, And I moved to school just on my last year of primary school. And the two big sports there were kind of hockey and athletics. So for me, I kind of went down that path um, and I did hockey in the winter with my school which wasn't actually my strong point, but I think looking back on it, my fitness um, and my endurance and my stamina probably carried me through. So I played in the, in the midfield, so I was always able to like run around and pick up the ball um, and then pass it on to those with better skill than me to, to score. And yes, then you're, doing I, all the dirty, you're doing all the dirty work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't very good at like actually putting the ball in the goal, but I could get from A to B fairly quickly. Um, <laughs> And then we did athletics in the summer. So I kind of realised at school that I wasn't so bad at athletics. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, I did it with my best friends. So we um, decided to join a local athletics club, um, which was at the time Victoria Park, based down in Scotston. Um, so went there a couple of times a week to do some of their um, interval sessions. And my running definitely improved doing those sessions. Um, and kind of pushed me to, I guess, take part in the more kind of competitions that are available through school. 
Um, at that age, kind of early senior school, I dabbled in kind of different disciplines from the cross country to a little bit of track running. Um, we also did a good cross country team at school. Um, and then I surprisingly did 800s on the track, which looking back now, it's definitely not my strength. I compare my time, what I was getting back then, to the juniors that my coach coaches now. Um, and they're like not on par at all. Um, but I was okay at regional level, um, but never kind of excelled in like the, the national level or kind of won medals at like, the top, top level. But um, continued with the running through uni. I went to Edinburgh Uni um, and represented the uni team there in cross country and road races. Um, I didn't do any track at that time. I kind of moved away from, from the 800s. Those days were over. Um, <laughs> probably a good thing. Um, and at uni, I just like really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed like obviously the keeping fit, but also like the, the social side of it, the buzz we got from competing. Um, even though it was an individual sport, we kind of went, to all the competitions as a team it was just very fun um but again I never kind of thought that I would necessarily be like that good um but it did get so, so what distance was what sorry sorry um, what distance was that you were doing then at university so university it was kind of cross country and road stuff but it was nothing more than kind of 10k right. um, or relatively short then yeah exactly I wasn't up at like the half marathons or the marathon distance um I mean, I didn't do my first half until about 2017, I think it was. Really? And it was around about that time where I'd been in London for a few years. I kind of was just keeping fit. Um, I think being in a uni running team kind of gave me the discipline to keep fit. Um, so when I moved to London, I just kind of went to the gym and in classes and those kind of things didn't race um but a colleague from work persuaded me to join a running club so I did start doing some interval sessions then but it was very much like in the summer I went and then in the winter I kind of head back in the gym again but then 2017 I met my boyfriend through my running club and he got me into more routine of going to like regular sessions doing a few local 5 and 10ks um and that kind of is where it all kind of kicked off I met my coach um, entered my first marathon, which was Berlin. Um, and then it's kind of all just been a bit of a, a blur, like in a good sense. It's just kind of all happened so quickly um, up until Valencia last year. So it's been done three marathons now. It sounds like it's all happened pretty quickly then from 2017. Now you've done yeah. around two hours, 27, 40 seconds. Pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty quick. You know, you usually think that someone would some people have to be in the sport for like during primary or secondary school uh, certainly because um, we always speak about this and the most guests that you know not not all athletes specialise in the sport straight away when they're young or, or five year old for example um, yeah. it shows that you, you can still come and come into the sport later on in your 20s and still do really well yeah exactly and I think being active from a young age and encouraged to like, take part in a variety of sports and you probably have like, a good base level of fitness and it's just kind of building on that and seeing how far you can you can take it and and push up if you want to right so we're going to move on to some training related questions now uh, stephanie so before you start your training for a race um what information would you gather to inform your plan for that race for example like the route uh, maybe previous results on that course or like would you test the fitness levels 
So with regards to like my training session specific to a build up for a race, I tend to leave that to my coach. Um, I'm coached by Philip Kissy. Um, he sets my sessions each week and I just follow, do what I'm told. <laughs> um, with regards to like the a specific race itself, um, I mean, if it's at the start of a training block, which may be like 12 weeks before, I tend to not think too much about the specific race and who's competing and, and what the course is necessarily like at the time. I, I mean, I'll have a sense of whether it's a flat course um, or whether there's uh, some, going to be some hills in it or et cetera. But I'll leave that with you until kind of closer to the time. And I will then kind of look at the route, the start lists, um, assess the, the weather, although I try not to do that too early. Otherwise, you find yourself like frantically checking the app every mm. day. I know, the feel, I know the feeling's getting <laughs> Um, And then I'll play around kind of with the pace calculator. I love to, to go into pace calculator online to kind of see from where my where my where I think I'm at for my training and also from discussions of my from my coach what pace I could run for the 10k or the half marathon or marathon, whatever race I'm doing at that time. Um to kind of give myself a target, which I'll then kind of discuss with my coach to put some kind of race plan in place. But I mean, race plans are tricky, especially for maybe like a race where it's a big race and you've got, you're racing for a position rather than a time. Whereas if it's just a local race, say I might go out with a specific race plan, it's easier to stick to because you're not thinking about the field. Whereas if you're thinking about like, like I actually that kind of also applies to Valencia Marathon. I was going for a time there rather than a specific position. Whereas for the big half, I kind of more have my eye on because of the British champs and um, getting a set position. So you have a race plan in your mind, but then that might adapt throughout the race. So I mean that's kind of the the way we go into our races. We have kind of a, a race plan on what kind of time we like, but you kind of have to be prepared that that might change. In regards to any, I haven't done any testing. No testing, no. Right, no. see the, the one in Valencia, when you had to get a specific uh, time, was that to qualify for the Olympics? What does it need to be under 2.30, is it? Yeah, so the Olympic qualifying time was 2.29.30. So I needed to get under, that was my goal. I mean, I, at that point, we were still waiting to hear what the situation was with qualifying for the Olympic team. Um, and we kind of had our suspicions that even if we got the time, I wouldn't be pre-selected from that based on the fact that there's some other girls that already have it, but also they quite often like to host an Olympic trials race, which is what they're meant to do in April this year at London Marathon. That was supposed to be the Olympic trials. And there they would have selected the top two and then the third place would have been down to British Athletics to, to decide. So it would basically be Smackdown. <laughs> right, okay. So, doesn't this, so you're not guaranteed a place then? No, even if you've got the time. Oh. Yeah. That's a pain. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> Busting a gut to get a 227 marathon not to get picked. Yeah, I mean, the competition this year is just amazing. So many is talented it? people in the UK. It's, so it's you, like really so do you just get do you get put on like a waiting list or like if so how, how, how? we'd all run London Marathon and then which is now going to be in April twenty twenty I don't know the years twenty twenty one yeah pushed um, <laughs> a year and it will be just top two will be guaranteed a position mm. and then the the third person will. Um, be up to the Bristol Feds to decide. 
Right. And now that's assuming everyone runs below the, the Olympic standard at that race. So it might be if, I mean, I don't know exactly, but it might be if the person that was third ran 231, they might then look to take someone who's already ran the standard, I think. Right. I, so, so you've made the but, cut then? I that's okay. So I made the cut to get into the Olympic crowd. <laughs> got the, the time ticked off, but um, yeah. I that can't even imagine. So, so what pace are you looking at? So say you're doing a 227 marathon, what's that average pace? So in Valencia, my average pace was about 330, 331 per kilometre, I think. Kilometres, I can't even calculate yeah. that into miles. I, I, mine's is all in miles, but... Yeah, most people are, and then I'm always in kilometres. Um, Must be about six-minute miles, maybe? Roughly. Roughly. Minute miles, two-minute kilometre. have this nifty little thing on my... Pace calculator. Yeah, I absolutely can. <laughs> So three thirty per kilometer is like five five thirty nine per mile. Five thirty nine. It's unreal. Which I just don't even know what five thirty nine per mile also normally means three thirty. But I would like someone told me to drive run five thirty nine a mile. I have no idea what that felt like. Uh-huh. <laughs> just a perception yeah. of it's different. So see, un- like unreal. myself and Lewis are obviously really into running as well and we've set a lot of targets and sometimes not achieved them so see when you're trying to do it under 229.30 and you're getting say say you're two miles away from the end were you confident that you could still do it because we've kind of set a challenge before where tried to do the best island way in 24 hours and we got really close to the end and then we just didn't believe it was possible and just fell at the last hurdle how do you keep your mind focused on that target when it's so close to the end so I've definitely had ups and downs with that. I mean, in Valencia, it seemed to to happen kind of, not accidentally, but there was a pacer for that 2.29.30 because it was um, an Olympic time. Um, so my aim was just to, to stick in that group. Right, but okay. Up going too fast. Um, and now obviously I knew that from the start because every time my lap function was going up for each kilometre, it was under the target pace that I was really aiming for. But I felt good, which you always do at the start of a marathon, or you should anyway. Um, so I just kind of decided to stick with it and see where I was at halfway. And usually I like to try and run my second half slightly quicker. But as we started the first half too quick, I kind of knew that maybe that wasn't going to happen. Um, so when we got to halfway, I still actually felt okay. And then it was just a case of like, in my mind, I broke, like I broke it down I was like just get to this next kilometer just get to that next drink station just get to another 3k then you can have a gel those kind of things to like not think about you've got 21k to go or you've got 18k to go which then seems so far whereas I was just like if you just break it down in your mind as into little steps and once you hit one hurdle you're like right just get to the next just get to the next um and definitely like towards the last kind of 6k of Valencia I was really having to like think about moving my legs and like keeping that pace I mean it helped towards the end the crowds were great I saw my family and my coach along the way so that kind of gives you another boost um and in the end I think I ran I ran the second half slower but only marginally I was pretty much even throughout the whole race so in that sense like I took a risk and it paid off I definitely had it in situations where I maybe 
been gone too hard too soon, not stuck to plan, more so in a training session, or I've just been having an off day and I found it a lot harder to work through it. Um, during a race, though, I've never let myself down in the sense I've never stopped because I think that I can't get last, like I think can't get that target time. And I think that's the most important thing is not letting yourself beat yourself up so much because you didn't hit the target. The target would be great, but just finishing it and focusing on the positives and you learn each time if you don't quite hit your plan, um, what you can do differently next time. I know taking on the West Highland Way probably another time for 24 hours is quite a big challenge. But um, yeah, it's just, I think, kind of not overthinking it too much sometimes. I have been guilty of that in training where I've kind of overthought the session and then I've been like, I can't do it, I'm not doing it. And mm -hmm. then we like revert to a different plan, which I'm trying to get out of the habit of doing because ultimately if you just finish the session but you're a fraction slower than maybe you would have liked or you know you can do, then it's not really, shouldn't really be a, a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I find mentally breaking up into smaller segments really helps me. I like yeah. that. I think I feel like I do that as well. Like especially when we're out doing those kind of big runs, Clark. See, even just like looking at something in the distance and just being like, right, get to there, and then we can have a walk or something. I know it's a totally different ball game marathon running from what we're doing. And I wouldn't even go as far to say that we're like serious competitive runners or anything like that. We just like to set ourselves big challenges and go and see what our what our bodies are kind of capable of. We're kind of interested in that side of things. Um, so, like, in our instance, it's like, right, we'll get to the top of that hill and then we can walk for, like, yeah. a minute or something. And just, like, small, manageable, digestible chunks. And it, it does, it just really helps the mindset, I think. I think that's good advice for anybody listening who is, um, who, who's yeah, into running. And... You're used to running and, like, you're doing your intervals in the same park, which I always do mine in the like a local park near my house and it's just like a case of like I know roughly where each like 1k 2k is I'm like just get to that tree just get to that where the football pitches are and it just helps it helps so much mm -hmm. um, yeah what I was guilty of was when it gets really really tough you start to think about how long you've still got to go and it's still you know say 10 miles to go you just don't think it's possible so sometimes it's just trying to control my mind from thinking about the whole, the big picture, you know what I mean, rather than just breaking it down, as you say. Yeah, and not fearing it. I think, like, sometimes I've been guilty as well, especially on 5K, because I find a whole different level of pain to, like, a marathon, um, where I'm like, oh, I feel like this now, and I've not uh, even had it. I'm going to, how am I going to get through the next, the rest of it? And yeah, I think, that's it. Like, running's never going to be easy, and I always say this to my friends or my family who my mum recently has been doing some interval sessions and she's like, oh, they're always so hard. And like, they never get easier, ever, because you just get better. So that, you have to get kind of that feeling. And obviously listen to your body. If, if it's an abnormal pain and you're like something really hurts or you don't like injure yourself or things like that. But if it's just like a pain because you're, you're trying so hard or you're out of breath, then it's, what's the worst that can happen? Just give it your, your all and... That's I always feel that as well. Like, see, I started doing the park runs, which is obviously just the 5Ks. And I just kind of used them as like a kind of speed session. It's always like, I always just felt so competitive um, when I'm running with other people. And I always say, like, some weeks I'm like, I'm just going to go out and take it easy. And then I just end up getting in that racing mode and then I just go for it. And then my pace, like the first, the first few weeks, 
I managed to cut like a, a good two or three minutes off my time, and then it was just like down to seconds, and the like improvements were just marginal. But it was so, it was still so hard. Like it was like that, almost like you could taste like blood in your throat, like the really yeah. irony taste because you've pushed yeah. your body that hard. Yeah, um, I, it just never gets any easier. Like if you say you're going to do a marathon or you go to do a 5k like the 5k is just as hard it's just mm-hmm. you, you think the 5k different. is going to be easier it's just totally different now it's different because like, 5k is like so fast now and i find like that it's more like my lungs are busting and like you can feel the lactate yeah. and everything. with the marathon i usually find my breathing's quite in control maybe not in the later stages when you're like sprinting to the line but it's my legs that i'm like yeah I, like think about moving them because it starts to more- tired and sluggish so it's just a completely different type of pain it's more kind of muscular endurance isn't it when it comes to mm. those distance runs over your cardio mm. system yeah but right so stephanie could you give us a wee breakdown of what a week's training looks like for you then on the build-up to a race so the week before a race is actually it's quite simple i'm usually like really tapering then um about three to four days before the race itself We'll have a speed session, but that will kind of be on the track, but reduced volume, just to kind of get the the legs turning over, get some speed in them, um, and then I will. I don't usually take like a complete rest day, but what I'll do is then just do a few easy runs, um, each day before the race, and they'll get shorter in the duration, um, and the day before I'll only go out for maybe 10, 15 minutes again, just like turn the legs over slowly, um. I mean, I know everyone seems to have like different ways they taper. A lot of people don't like to taper too much. I think my taper is, is quite light. Um, and actually lockdown has been a good time to play around with that from a couple of um, kind of time trials we've had in training and um, to see if we can maybe do less of a taper or if that works better. Um, but yeah, typically it's it's a very light week. Um, I mean, before the marathon itself, we'll do a specific um, um, blocks on marathon pace. Um, about three or four days before but again it's like very short in duration because obviously yeah. you're wanting to save yourself for the big day so see with the, see, see the start of like say for example you're training for the Valencia Marathon see the very start of your training for that how many like miles are you running per week compared to like towards your total mileage like towards the end of your training phase for that if that makes sense so Typically, I've had quite a low mileage compared to a lot of marathon runners. So at the start of a block, we may average around 70 or 80k, which in miles. <laughs> um, so I, keep, I, I keep speaking in miles here. I'll need to get so that up in case we have any other I, runners on. <laughs> we probably usually average around 45 miles, 50 miles at the start. Um, but that's supplemented by, well, at the time I was doing a lot of cross training in the gym on the elliptical trainer. So uh, instead of like going out and doing maybe a long recovery run, um, I might do one run in the morning and then on the elliptical for between 30 or 70 minutes type thing. Um, And then towards the later stages of my marathon, I've kind of gone up to kind of 65, 70 miles. Mm -hmm. However, that's what I did for um, kind of Berlin, London and Valencia. But now because obviously gyms have been closed with COVID, um, it's given me a chance to kind of play around my mileage a little bit, um, just to see how my body reacts. Um, typically, I've kept it low because of niggles I've had in the past. Um, 
but I've not been completely niggle free. So at the moment, I am probably doing probably about like seventy five miles a week. Um, right. But I don't think we'll go much much higher than that. To be honest, I don't think I'll be one of these runners that does like hundred miles a week. Yeah, I kind of supplement the extra stuff. Um, I mean, I'm fortunate enough that we had a terrible trainer here, so I was able to go on the indoor bike. Um, and also now the weather's been really good down south to go out on the roads um, and get some kind of cross training there. And I also really like to swim, so I do that kind of two or three times a week as well. Yeah, Just does, you, does your coach encourage, encourage that cross training, or do you think to get your time down you need to do the 100 mile weeks? What do you, so I think in the past he has had marathon runners with a higher mileage, but then after Berlin, I had my hip injury and we just kind of eased back in slowly and then we were advised to keep the kind of mileage down um and that's just always worked for us so we've never really changed it so he's never been too obsessed on mileage or telling i need to do this x mileage a week um i think definitely if, if we can we'll see how it goes in the next few months keep up at that kind of slightly higher level than what i was doing before then we'll, we will continue with that um, but I just find that, well, I've never tried doing 100 miles a week, so I, I can't speak for those who do. But for me, doing slightly less miles running wise and then supplementing it with cross training, either on the bike or the elliptical, then it means I can just put more quality into my sessions. So my legs aren't always just really heavy from running all mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. So it's just bad. But it would be interesting to know how I would perform if I did. Maybe yeah. not up and see I, so the, the killer question now then is are you ever actually niggle free do you ever get to a point when you're like niggle free um at the moment like i actually am apart from i've been sleeping really funny the last couple of nights so i feel something all around the back of my neck so yeah. that yeah no probably not niggle free i mean <laughs> generally i get quite nervous whenever i have a niggle um so I think that's probably why my coach is kind of okay with all the cross training because I think yeah. mentally if I'm always panicking about niggles and worried about running, then the cross training has always been great. It's kept my fitness levels um right up. But yeah, we always I think us runners have have a little something we yeah. like to there's yeah. always something going on, isn't there? And it always just plays be mind games with you. Yeah, right. especially if you get older. Um, and yeah. that's one the worst. <laughs> See so if, you're in, if you're in this Oh, sorry, mate. On you go. No, go, go, on you go. <laughs> so, if you're into swimming and swimming and biking as well, uh, definitely do you fancy a triathlon one day. I think one day I would definitely like to try one. Definitely not until I've kind of nailed everything I want to do with the running. Mm -hmm. But my boyfriend, he does triathlon. He trains for them, so he's always trying to like nudge me a little bit to get me involved. But um, yeah, I think I've had a lot of work to do though. If it's going to be good on in a triathlon, I mean, I say yeah. I saw swim and bike, but I. I'm not very good. <laughs> well, if you've got the boyfriend there, he'll be able to coach you. Yeah, exactly. I, I think I would, need, I would need a snorkel if I was doing triathlon. <laughs> <laughs> I just think. So, I'll get one more, another training-related question, just to follow up from what I asked there. See, with regards to the sessions that you put in, how much time do you spend working on, like, your running economy to maximise your performance? Is that like a, Does that shape a key part of your of your sessions at all? Like, do you do drills and stuff like that before you do, like, a speed session or...? Yeah, so we do, um, we do, like, um, our drills and stuff before we warm up. Um, 
I don't spend a lot of time, if I'm honest, like on running economy stuff. And as I said before, I've never done any testing on like my VO2 max and efficiency. But um, yeah, actually, I did have some niggles on my shins, which I then went and had assessed. Someone looked at my running form and my style and made some changes to that, which then actually really helped um, kind of solve those kind of shin niggles. Um, But typically, I just... I just actually just run and um, we haven't looked too much into kind of the sports things. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely think it'd be interesting to get um, some testing done, but yeah, maybe in the future. At the, no, moment, the, reason, the, the reason I asked that question is because I've read some stuff like about that. Cause I've been, it's been, I've been quite interested in it and there is a, an article I read and it was, they did a study looking at like so many Olympic r- distance runners and they said that it was just looking at the running economy and not one of them had a, like their strides per minute less than 180. And it was something yeah, to that, do with how that right. can... It, yeah, it was something to do with how if you have... If your strides are over 180 strides per minute and you do two breaths in per stride, two breaths out per stride, you can maximise your um, running economy that way. It was, I just thought it was quite interesting how yeah, you, you know, can get a faster time. And I actually now notice when I'm out running, um, you can see a lot of new runners have very, very low cadence mm-hmm. um, versus someone who's who's maybe done a bit more running. And I never had a very low cadence, but it wasn't 180, it was maybe 175. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was guilty of kind of landing on my heels, especially when I get tired. Um, so that's been another kind of lockdown goal of mine was to kind of focus on upping my cadence um, to try and not land so much on my heels, especially when I'm getting tired because I often like will use my arms to kind of pull myself and kind of overstride. Yeah. Um, I tried, at first I tried using the kind of Garmin, you can set like the metronome on it, but I actually just found that really confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I was just putting on my Garmin, I could see my cadence and literally on my slow runs, that's all I was focusing on. Yeah. I was just like and at my watch. Because you really have to retrain your brain. It's like when you've been running for a long time to then change how many steps you take and your style. It, it, takes, uh, it takes a lot to kind of force yourself to do that. But now I feel that like I can do it quite naturally. And also one of my training mates gave me a tip. Like if you feel your cadence slow and kind of speed up your arms because your uh-huh. arms or legs will always follow, follow your arms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, now when I'm tired... I'm doing kind of actual hard interval sessions. I kind of think to myself, like, keep like pumping your arms, pumping your arms. And that also sometimes distracts away from kind of the session itself and the pain you're feeling because you're thinking about something else. So we have done a bit of of work on that recently. And so far, so good. It's really helped my like just shin niggles. I never had kind of serious, like, painful shin splints where I had to stop running, but it was always, as you say, like a niggle that was kind of there. Always there. Um, and that's really helped it. So, yeah, a lot of the- not just changing your cadence will make your shin issues go away. It has to do a lot of yeah. ankle strength. Uh-huh. Yeah, because that's another thing about it was that if you're taking more strides every minute, then it's kind of less impact factor as well, as opposed to taking yeah. big strides where you're constantly hammering down. But yeah, I thought that was quite interesting. But it's it's really interesting. So you've spoke to us there about the kind of physical prep side of your training. As a marathon runner, from your own running experience, from our own running experience, sorry, nutrition is just as important for a successful performance as the training itself. 
when it comes to nutrition, we are kind of aware that it's unique to everybody. There's not a one size fits all. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how you approach this key element of your training or your performance? Yeah, so I've definitely had like ups and downs with nutrition um, and getting enough intake throughout kind of running. Um, my boyfriend kind of helped change my attitude towards food in the sense that like we need food to like, it's literally like filling up a car with petrol. We need it for fuel. And it sounds so simple, but like sometimes I kind of maybe would forget to eat and then you'd feel sluggish or you wouldn't recover properly from sessions and you're wondering why. And now I just generally make sure that I'm taking enough in. Um, I tend to eat kind of little and often than have three big meals or whatever. I'm kind of more of a grazer. But generally, I've got a really balanced diet. I kind of don't deprive myself um, of anything, although I am conscious of what I eat. Um, I, I mean, I typically have a more kind of healthy diet, but I definitely would like always have a treat if I'm going out for a meal or if I'm seeing friends. It's just kind of keeping everything balanced. Um, and also just kind of planning your meals around your training to make sure you don't go in underfueled um, and that you're kind of ready to go. And knowing, most important, I think, a, like a common mistake a lot of new runners will make is kind of not knowing what their body can handle in terms of food and what will upset their tummy. And often people will go along to races and try new gels, new drinks, etc., for the first time. And that's just like something that people should really like avoid doing because it's so simple to test all your fuel and training yeah. um, so that you know you're not going to have an upset tummy because you took a drink off the race stand that, that upsets your stomach. Um, always kind of look to see what brands are providing fuel on race day. Then you can try it or you can try something that works for, for you. I mean, I kind of had that, learned that kind of the hard way in a few races when I was younger. And then last year I did the the night of the 10K PBs, which is a track race um, in London. And it's a, it's a big race. I mean, like everyone comes to watch. It's got like a very party atmosphere around the track. But my race wasn't until 9 p.m. at night. And I'm used to training in the evening, but even then it's like half six, seven. So I wasn't really sure on like what to eat during the day. Anyway, I made this like, chicken ricey thing but I put some like fajita spice on it which was my boyfriend and I were eating it and my boyfriend's like why are we eating this this is quite spicy and we've got a race I'm like no it's not it's mild flavor like <laughs> we have this all the time like this is not a new meal it was fine <laughs> and like 4k into the race I, my tummy was a knot and I learned from that like the timing of the meal is probably fine but like what I ate was the wrong decision so just stick to what you're used to is like what I always say like I tend to always have porridge before I go and race and um, not race before I go train um so like if I train at half six I'll have my porridge like two and a half hours before two hours before and that's always meant that I'm ready to go it doesn't upset my tummy um but yeah it's just try to have a balanced diet don't deprive yourself just make sure you get enough fuel in um and just be sensible but it's I don't a lot of training yeah, well, I absolutely love porridge. So does that mean I can have it in the morning and at half four in the afternoon as well? Yeah, that's what I do. Buzzing. <laughs> <laughs> so, see, when you're evaluating your training sessions or even, your, for example, your nutrition as well, if it doesn't go to plan, as you were saying there, when you evaluate your training sessions, do you do that with your coach, like for a specific training session? 
Yeah, so my coach and I are like in constant um, communication. We, we talk all the time. Um, so he he kind of obviously keeps his notes of where I'm at and how I'm doing. I have a separate training diary where I keep um, mainly just for this kind of sports psychology side of things. I like to kind of note down like how I was feeling, if it went well, if it went badly, so that I can look back and especially when I've had a negative session, I then tend to think everything's been so bad. I'm not trained so like well in so long where I then go back and look at my diary. I'm actually can see you actually like if I look at my sessions properly, this went well, this went well, this went well, this went well. So this one bad session is actually like nothing in the grand scheme of things. So for me, yeah. that diary really helps on the physical side of things. And I'm a coach kind of keeps all the numbers and does all the kind of analysis on, on that to see where he thinks um, I'm at. But yeah, like definitely kind of keeping a log of everything helps because it just means we can change and adapt things if we need to because I'm not feeling great or I missed a session or he thinks actually you're running really well this week or reduced this session, but I really want to focus on this bigger session the other the next day. Um, I also send him things like my heart, my pulse rate, I take that every morning so he can get a sense of like if it's too high, then we might then ease off for a bit and see how my body's doing Um, so yeah it's just constantly like checking in um, and just kind of being honest with yourself on how you're feeling but yeah it's a a team effort that's for sure. That's really fascinating how you spend a lot of time kind of evaluating the sessions it's a big part of the the PE curriculum as well the course that we teach we always get the pupils to fill in how the session went any changes it would make what progress they're making similar to what you were saying there. Uh, so that's really really interesting that you do it even at the elite level as well. Yeah, and I think like there's so much you can evaluate in a session, isn't it? Like how you physically felt, how you mentally felt. Um, yeah, it's just kind of capturing it all. And there's so many ways you can do it now. I mean, some people might take videos and take voice notes so they find it easier to speak. But I just find like writing in my diary kind of helps best for me or on Strava, things like that. People use that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just having yeah, that, isn't it, to, to measure? Yeah. Yeah. So would you would you ever like find it difficult during a training session and then look back at a diary and maybe it's been that session that's been causing a problem? So maybe there's been a couple of times where it's Yeah, so I have like I tend to like use these little emojis to like summarise my sessions and I can quickly look back and see like whether it's good, bad or medium or whatever. Um and there has been like especially during lockdown I've had um, a couple of 5k time trials, which I've just like not been able to mentally get my head around. Um, so for me, I decided like, well, I don't actually need to be focusing on a 5k. It's not where I want to be. It's not one of my goals. Um, also, it's, it's great to have that speed. It helps your marathon. But for me, it was just causing too much stress and anxiety. So I've kind of parked that. I'm like, we'll come back to it at a later date when... When there is actual races, I find like the time trial thing a bit too much pressure sometimes I put on myself. So I've actually just parked that and focusing on the training around what we we do for a 5k um, rather than the, the event itself. Um, but I've got a tangent here and I've forgotten what we were talking about. That sounds good. About your um, emojis and how you evaluate the session. Yeah. Um, um, that's actually quite a good strategy list for the, the kids simple way like, doing it isn't it they, they, they quite yeah, enjoy doing that I have like a summary on, a, on one sheet with the, the dates and I can just see mm. the emoji and I'm like oh that was a good one so then I can look back in my diary at the session and read about how it was all good or what, what times I got or why it was particularly good 
And then there's other ones where maybe I've got like a red cross because I'm like, that one went terribly. And <laughs> go back by because sometimes you forget and you're going through a whole load of pages to see mm-hmm. read mm-hmm. just to have like that summary page really helps and also means I can like if I'm feeling negative I can look at that one page and be like oh actually there's loads of smiley faces things haven't been so bad yeah yeah it keeps your motivation there and your enjoyment yeah yeah so as you've uh, definitely experienced there's uh, several factors that impact your performance um the PE course is massive on this um kind of mental emotional physical and social factors uh so I'd like to ask you about the physical factor and in particular, uh, muscular endurance. We kind of touched on it earlier about how that can impact your performance at the end of a race. So how important would you say you know, muscular endurance is to achieving a, a high-quality marathon performance? Yeah, I think, as we were saying before, it's, it's really, really important because um, it kind of determines how well your legs are going to hold up in those later stages. Um, from marathons I've done and particularly in my first marathon which was in Berlin um, people had always talked about like when you get to the last 10k that's when you'll potentially hit a wall and I always had that in my mind so I think for that marathon I went off a little bit reserved because I was worried about that last 10k but even still I definitely found I never hit a wall in the sense that like my pace completely dropped I wasn't able to like I had to completely change my my plan and, and my adjustments for time etc but I did find my legs were the kind of the first thing to go essentially my breathing felt okay um but I was consciously having to think about kind of moving my legs and like keeping track of that pace um and I think that's where kind of gym work will play an important role to kind of build your strength and help with your form um, but also I find like the longer marathon pace sessions that we do as part of training kind of help build that muscular endurance as well um, kind of adding in some kind of longer elements of of probably part of your Sunday long run where you'll do part of it at your marathon pace and maybe, maybe the later stages of it when you're feeling a bit more tired and it's going to be a bit hard especially if you've had a heavy week of training um, just to kind of practice and replicate what you could potentially be feeling at the later stages of a marathon if you've done that in training then on the day it should should be easier um, but yeah, like the gym work as well, I think is helpful. I mean, strength and conditioning can be often neglected by a lot of runners and it doesn't have to be going to the gym and lifting massive weights. You can often do it. I mean, I think buy a bag of resistance bands and there's some great stuff on YouTube that you can do for 15, 20 minutes, three times a week. Um, it takes no time at all. On that, I'm that just going to ask you there how many times a week, yeah. so three times a week. I tend to do it in the gym twice a week and then once from home I'll do kind of um, maybe resistance band stuff. I mean, every day I'm always doing something um, strength and conditioning wise, but obviously you don't want to be doing too much because you don't want to take away from the quality of your running session. Suppose the kind of high quality performance as well, just kind of putting you on the spot here. How would you train your mind and it's obviously a big part of marathon running is the mind and pushing if your muscular endurance is having a negative impact in the last couple of k how do you do you do do you kind of experiment with visualization or how do you do how do you cope with that side of things if you have practiced those marathon pace pace um that marathon pace in sessions then it's trying to remember that when you're maybe feeling 
like you're having to dig really deep in the later stages of a race, going back and reflecting on like, I know I can do this. I did it in X session. Maybe have a few key sessions in your head where you're like, I know I smashed that. I know I can do it now. Maybe think about the crowds. Um, mm-hmm. Just anything like if, if you're working on your cadence, think about your arms pumping. Like don't think about necessarily too much about that one thing um, because it just spirals in your mind and, I think you build up to being something worse, but I think definitely always trying to remember those key sessions that you did where you've where you've ran well. Um, Comes up, it's going back to the preparation. Then, if you have to have been, you have to have done it in your training, then to have that reference point to go back. Exactly, and I think like that's. I mean, marathon train marathon's a big beast. You've got to do the training properly. Um, I mean, I have a lot of admire those people that go out and and maybe haven't trained a lot and and then almost kind of walk around most of it because they spend a lot of time on their feet but that inevitably is what's going to happen if you don't put the preparation in in the few months leading up to it. Was, Lewis, that was you we were talking to there. <laughs> 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 no, like down your feet doing a marathon, don't you? No, I'm, I'm on my hands and my knees pretty much the most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> 15 miles onwards. It's like seven and a half, eight hours and I actually like... It's serious kudos to those people that do that because that is yeah. a long time on your feet. Yeah. Well, I, it's a long- saying, I just did um, the Great Glen Way with my friend, but we weren't running it. We were just hiking it. And I swear my feet were in bits because it took us yeah. like, the last day was, it was 20 miles and it must have took us about eight hours to walk 20 miles. And my feet yeah. was sore. It was agony going. Like, really bad. Feet well, were walking. Right, so moving on to, so to, to finish off um, the podcast today, Stephanie, with the main part of the interview, we're going to um, ask you a question about goal setting. I know you can uh, spoke about you might be going into triathlon later down the line, but <laughs> with regards to some short and long-term goals with your running, have you got anything set? Um, so my main kind of goal, obviously, at the moment is kind of London Marathon in 2021 for that Olympic trials. But I think kind of mainly is to kind of continue working hard, keeping on top of all my strength and conditioning and like most importantly having fun with it all. Because I think as soon as you're not having fun, then it's going to be hard to kind of dedicate yourself to something that takes so much time. Um, but generally I'll take each race as it comes. I mean, hopefully I'm doing the World Half Marathon Championships in October in Poland, for providing everything goes okay with being able to travel, etc. Um, so I tend to think not too much well obviously the bigger picture is always there but I try not to get too like obsessed in that and kind of think yep. about the short goals because that's often what you need to do in order to get the long term goal but yeah ultimately um, kind of the focus is um, the dream would be to kind of secure that spot in the Olympic team and then further down the line I'd really like to make the Scotland team for the Commonwealth Games in 2022 yep. we'll definitely be cheering you on We'll be for you. <laughs> so, soon it, com- it comes to having fun, just last, just, sorry, one more thing. Like, what gets you up in the morning when you don't want to go to do the session? Like, sometimes, is it, or do you ever not enjoy it? Yeah, definitely. I'm like, oh, and like, Wednesdays are actually always like, I find like my hardest day because I just have a slow run today. But after Tuesday's track sessions, and then I'm straight in the gym after Stu waits, my legs are like always quite dead. And even this morning, I woke up and I said, like, oh, my legs feel okay, actually. I know as soon as I start running, we'll be like, oh. <laughs> but I think it's more just like it's just routine like 
that's what I do every Wednesday. I yeah, go so for, you just get it done. So you just get it done. And sometimes you might have to distract yourself by putting in a podcast or listening to some music. Often I try and meet a friend if I can because then it's just quite nice to go for like a chatty run. But yeah, like I, for me, it's keeping it social as well. Like I train in a group, um, mm-hmm. great group, really good fun. We have lots of banter. Um, yeah, it's just, but it also is like part of your, part of, it's part of my life. I mean, yeah doing it but yeah it's like not every day is going to be sunshine and rainbows <laughs> Especially do, you do, do you do a lot of runs socially then or do you do any um, on your own yeah i do a lot on my own and right. um, most of my recovery runs are done on my own but i think because of covid and everyone being at home it's been easier to kind of hook up with friends nearby to if i've got like a 15k run then we can run towards each other run together for 8k and then go our separate ways and that's also quite a nice way to break up a run because you're like, oh, it's only a few K. Like, I meet my friend Steph all the time and we'll, I'm like, it's only 4K till I meet Steph. And then we've got like a nice 8K together. And yeah. then I have to like trot home after that. So that's good. That up to and kind of make it a bit more interesting. <laughs> now, if you want to distract yourself, you know what podcast to listen to now anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> my earpods always cut out towards the end. I don't know why the batteries are gubbed on them. <laughs> Um, right, so Steph, at the end of each one of our podcasts, we finish off with a quick fire round of three questions. All right, so just quick answers for each of the questions. So, number one, if you could have a billboard anywhere, what would it say on it? Okay, so if it was to be like a billboard for like life motto, it would probably say something along the lines of be careful what you say to yourself because you're listening. Because I find sometimes when I speak to myself, my boyfriend always gives me a trouble this, I'm like, can be quite negative. Mm-hmm. And I think the more you say something to yourself, you're going to start believing it. Um, whereas if we talk to ourselves, like we talk to our friends, our family, then we're more likely to be kinder to ourselves. And I think that's kind of really important. I mean, we've got to be realistic and, and don't kind of keep putting ourselves down. Um, sure, if it was a billboard that was maybe I was seeing like if I was like passing a ra- in a race or something I'd probably say something like uh, maybe something like like give it some beans that'll be worth the pain or something especially <laughs> when you're in that hole and you're you need some extra motivation just to be reminded to, to keep going it's all worth it I think that's a maybe we can ask that question now Clark see if we've got um, other athletes on at different parts in the race or at like certain mm-hmm. points in the game or whatever a billboard that they could yeah. see. No, definitely steal that. We're always learning. That's good. <laughs> Constantly changing it. Right, number two. How has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? Do you have a favourite failure? Um. So I guess failure. Sometimes when I get injured, I associate that with kind of failure or like a setback. Um, and I think. The way I've dealt with that in the past is actually seeing like the positive in maybe an injury or a niggle in that it can be a good indicator of like what weaknesses you have, what you need to work on, what areas you really need to like focus on. Um, I mean, my hip injury that I had after Berlin was kind of an example. I mean, it felt quite bad at the time and we had those scans and, and I thought it was going to be like disaster, especially an operation. And it wasn't that. All I need to do was kind of work on my hip flex flexibility. So it was something really simple. But at the time, I felt like 
it was a huge setback that I'd like kind of failed. I just like I just finished my first marathon, my first one back. I couldn't barely walk, like well, I could barely move. Um, so it was actually just kind of flipping that round and being like, right, actually, if I dress this, then it will make me stronger in the long term. And that's kind of same on the kind of the shin issues I had kind of after Valencia Marathon. It kind of made me then focus on my weakness, my ankle, my calf strength, um, which will then in turn make me a better athlete in the long run. So I think sometimes not seeing those failures as something that's like the end of the world and kind of flip them, see the positives and like where you can work on your weaknesses and what you can learn from it. Yeah, there's always that amazing, there, isn't there? Yep. Yeah, always. Right. Number three then, what advice would you give to a young teenage athlete or what advice should they ignore? So try, I know this is like an obvious one, but like I think people should not get too like um, obsessed and like engrossed in social media and mm-hmm. like how everything looks amazing because that's obviously not reality. Main thing is just to like enjoy it, have fun, um, take part in a variety of sports. It doesn't matter what age you are, you can still do that take part in loads of different activities, kind of figure out what you enjoy most, whether it's because you're good at it, whether because you have a good group of friends that do it, and then you kind of work out what's best for you. And once you enjoy something, you're then wanting to dedicate more time and effort into doing it um, and kind of setting those kind of short-term goals and long-term goals. Because I think if you're too ambitious sometimes with your long-term goal, then you miss out on celebrating those kind of small steps that you've taken to get there. Yeah, love it. Well, that rounds us off nicely for today's podcast. Thanks very much for joining us today, Stephanie. We appreciate your time. No, um, I think that was really good. Thanks very much. I'm really inspired by that. And I'm, I'm sure the people listening will take a lot from it as well. Well, everyone, what can I say? That was a wee bit of everything, I suppose, isn't it? Today we've got the marathon runner on, Stephanie Davis from Perth in Scotland, on to talk to us today about our our goal setting approaches, our training schedule and how she has fared in her uh, marathon performances. So I suppose it's probably better to start with Lewis. Lewis, what would your key takeaway message be from this amazing episode today? Got loads of good information in there that I can apply to my own my own training for running. I think a lot of people who are listening that run themselves can take a lot from it. But I thought it was uh, very interesting what you said, the importance that she places on muscular endurance, particularly at the marathon distance. When you're running a 5K, it's working different um, energy systems, more your cardio-respiratory endurance, whereas doing a marathon distance, it's, it's evident that it's mainly your, your legs that are going to suffer from it, your legs, your core, because you're on the go for such a long duration of time. And actually dedicating that time to developing um, your muscular endurance and your legs to your core is going to pay dividends when it comes to actually performing on race day so it's something to to definitely take away from that and also what she spoke about with nutrition looking ahead to what the race um what the race is providing what energy gels are providing what um what each aid station's got does that agree just being organized yeah be organized experiment with it in training if you've used a certain energy gel or a certain food in training and then it's something different on race day it's a no-brainer you don't take it okay so you need to make sure you're on the ball with your nutrition as well to get a successful marathon performance. So I thought there was loads of good information in there. I liked the thing that she spoke about with um, relation to short-term, um, how does she get through races towards the later stages? 
like looking ahead, just not too far ahead, don't look at the race as a whole, break it down into smaller chunks. I think we've spoke about that before um, on one of our previous episodes, but it really does work with the mindset when you're out for a long time, break it down into small manageable chunks and um, it just makes it that bit more achievable, in my opinion. Would you agree with that one? Absolutely, Mr. Cleland. <laughs> um, if you're going, to, you're going to ask me what my KTB message is, because oh, mine's be the same as yours. Do you need to but listen, I'll, I'll come up with another one because yeah, I, suppose, I suppose it really just epitomises, you know, what a wee bit of everything's about. Lewis, I don't know if you agree with me here. I've agreed already. I think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating that we interview all these people, right? So you've got a marathon runner, you've got Ross Hislop, who's a, who's a counsellor. You've got Andy DL as well, who we've done last week, who as a consultant and um, bilateral integration. And then but what we're starting to see is, is similarities, you know? And my key takeaway message for Stephanie is the most important conversation is the one you have with yourself. Yeah. And how, that, how important that positive self-talk is. I'm sure if you'd ask Andy the same thing, well, he would be able to tell you that that's just as important, and so would Ross, mm-hmm. and so would all the teachers that we've interviewed. So I think it's fascinating that what we're just starting to see by a wee bit of everything is that there's techniques and skills that can be transferred from discipline to discipline, yeah. which makes it a really all-encompassing podcast, in my opinion. And we're starting to take things from each discipline and learn from each other, and that's something, a big part of our vision moving forward is to try and get outside the education sector into the NHS, for example, or into the police to see how we can learn from, from one another. And but do you, do you know what I mean by that? Like, yeah, we're starting to see things that well, we're all doing different, we're all got different jobs and different roles and responsibilities throughout the week, working towards different goals. But really, within all these podcasts, we're starting to see there's two or three kind of common themes that are coming up like yeah. visualization, positive self talk. Mm-hmm. It can be, it's not just, you don't just use that to run a marathon or run an ultra marathon, you, you use that to become better at, at, at being. Anything, any job. Yeah. Mm, that's right. You don't, you don't um, just break a marathon down into small manageable chunks. You do that with anything that you're doing. Say that's a uni assignment mm-hmm. that you're trying to do. You don't just go and try and do the full thing in a winner. You break it down into small sections. Make it achievable for yourself. So again, just all these different things that we've spoke about from each different um, guest that we've had on, a lot of them, do, they do like a lot of principles that just... Mm-hmm. That's, it, it's principles. that's a good point actually but in the uni assignment it's like or even an exam at school it's like training for a marathon really so you're, you're training all, you're, you're working all year towards your exam and your exam's your marathon really mm-hmm. and it's like if you've prepared and done all the things that Stephanie said like all your long runs your marathon pace runs if you've done all your tests and assignments then when you get into the, mar- when you get into the exam that should be like going and enjoying the race go and enjoy the exam you know you've done everything you can but if you start to miss long runs and start to miss some revision, then you'll feel guilt. You'll feel that when you go into the exam or go into the marathon, you've just not quite put the prep in. Mm-hmm. You get found out. Who knows? Need to put the work in to get the to reap the results. So Absolutely. anyway, that brings us nicely to the end of today's episode. As always, if you see it on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, we would really appreciate it if you could give us a share or a retweet. Again, as this helps us get the podcast out there so others can listen as well. If you haven't already done so, we would appreciate it if you could give us a wee review on Apple or Spotify um, with how you've found the podcast. Feedback is always welcomed because that helps us improve our show. Until next time, we hope you all have a fantastic week. Take care.